Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're wearing his eyebrows? They make me feel dressier. He's not going to be happy about that. No, especially when he goes to the opera with two mustaches on his forehead. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And this is the Nerd App Podcast. This week, a conversation with Ed Begley Jr. He's one of our favorite actors. You know him from shows like Six Feet Under and Arrested Development. And he's been an activist for the green movement since before it was cool. Also this week, we've got homework from the lunatic farmer, Joel Salatin. Lunatic. He's a lunatic. Self-described? Yes. All right. (laughs) If you've ever eaten at Chipotle, you know Joel's work. He's responsible for some of the sustainable farming efforts. Giant burrito? Don't you love Chipotle? I love Chipotle. I had actually never been to Chipotle until Trisha made me go to Chipotle, and it's pretty much the most beautiful thing ever. I changed your life. Yeah, you really did. And so could Joel Salatin with this homework. So stay tuned for that. But first, Ed Begley Jr. We'd love to hear about the most current project you're working on on Begley Street. Years ago, 2007 through 2009, Rochelle and I did a show called Living with Ed that was about the home that I bought in 1988, an old 1936 home that I bought in 88 and made pretty green for an old inefficient home. I took it pretty far, and that's what that show was about. We wanted to see what we could do with new construction. So we embarked on this journey in 2010, began construction in 2011. William Hefner designed this wonderful architect, designed a lead platinum home, and we're in the process of building that home right now, and it's fraught with a lot of complicated stuff because of the green nature of it. So we're documenting it all and showing all the victories and the pitfalls of building a lead platinum home. When people picture a green home, oftentimes sort of like maybe a log cabin or something that's very obviously ostensibly part of nature and has these huge solar panels on them. But that's not exactly what you're working with. No. And I've seen those wonderful kind of homes, the log cabin kind of homes and other like George Jetson looking solar homes. And there's a place for all that. But that's not what Rochelle wanted. She is the one who dictates the aesthetics of things. And she wanted something in the vein of like French Mediterranean. So that's exactly what we did. You would drive up to the house in the street. You would not for a second think it was a green home at all. Nothing about it looks green. I mean, it doesn't look ostentatious or ungreen, but it just looks like a normal home. From the backyard, you would likewise call me a liar that I live in a green home with solar panels because you go to the backyard, you can't see them in the front or backyard. They're completely hidden. They're behind a little low parapet all the way around the south side of the house. So even at six foot four, I cannot stand on my tiptoes and see the solar panels, but they are there and gathering sunlight. So that was the idea of the home, to have it look aesthetically pleasing and to have all the stuff that you can do in 2014. Not only 10 kilowatts of solar, but 10,000 gallons of rainwater tank buried underground already. Wow. Gray water, big, thick walls the best technology that you can get out there, 
wonderful vegetable garden, bit of a fruit orchard, composting. Whatever you can do in this day and age, we're doing it. I don't think I've ever heard the phrase, a bit of a fruit orchard before. That sounds lovely. (laughs) I think think that's the first time I've said it, I'm sure. Another thing I really love about the show is that it's almost just as much about you navigating the women in your life, right? Happy wife, happy life. And for years, I resisted Rochelle's attempts to have a more closet space or anything like that or a bigger home. I prided myself on the very small, small by Hollywood standards, very large by world standards, a 1,600-square-foot two-bedroom house is what I've lived in since 1988, and I loved it. I was a single man, weekend dad, so it was plenty of room for me and my now-grown kids who visited occasionally. But when Rochelle moved in, it was still plenty of room, I thought. Then we had a daughter, and I thought it was still plenty of room, but when you start to share a bathroom with a teenager and there's other closet (laughs) issues between ladies, things can get a little dicey. So after saying no... From 93 until 2010, I kept saying no, and finally I relented and said, okay, honey, if you can find a house that has a good south-facing roof for solar, if you can find a place where I can put a huge rainwater tank and have a huge vegetable garden, more room for compost and fruit trees and everything, you can find all of that at this price. I wrote a number down on a piece of paper. I'll move. She'll never find it, ever. Good luck, honey. (laughs) And so, but she found it within a week. She found a place that met all those criteria during a seven-day period. I had to stick to my word, and we bought this home. So we dismantled it. This wonderful company, IRS, came and took the house apart instead of bulldozing it. Had all the components, you know, the wood and the brick and what have you. All the easy pickings got taken first by Habitat for Humanity, a wonderful organization I built homes with. Habitat for Humanity took the stove and the microwave and the, the doors and the windows and all the easy stuff. And then... As I said, IRS came and took, not the tax people, a company called Industrial Recycling Services, came and took all the wood and brick and made it usable, and uh, that was all recycled into a new structure. Ed, one of the things I love about watching the show and just watching you live greenly as you do is that you don't make it look easy. You make it look accessible but not easy because I think it's important for people to realize that there are going to be tough calls that you have to make in terms of do we trust every label that has a green sticker on it or do we have to do a lot more thinking about appliances and materials so that we make sure that we're not greenwashing our lives. How do you, when someone approaches you about a new product, look at it skeptically? You know, I look to the experts like Green Seal and people like that. EPA Designed for the Environment has some other wonderful criteria. But I look at the people that can test stuff. Some things are back-of-the-envelope calculations you can do yourself, and you know how you're going to come out ahead. You are correct. There's always a balance. It's really being a true conservative the way my dad was. He was a conservative that liked to conserve. We turned off the lights and turned off the water. We saved string and saved tinfoil. You know, he was the son of Irish immigrants. He had lived through the Great Depression, so he never used the word environmentalist wasn't some environmental green thing for him. It was just the way you lived. And I got that from him. When he died in 1970, I got involved and did a lot of stuff to honor him as much as anything else. And I quickly surmised that all the stuff that I did back in 1970 not only was good for the environment, but it saved me money. One of the things that's interesting about On Begley Street to me as well is that this isn't a traditional TV network that you're working with. It seems like it's part content, part community. Yes. It's a wonderful community of a lot of like Lohas living kind of stuff. I learned to pronounce it myself now, evokes. It's like to evoke something, evokes television, and that's where you would see the show. And there's lots of other good stuff about alternative lifestyle within their wheelhouse there. 
at Evokes and everybody involved at Evokes Television are great. I really, really like them a lot. You actually seem like you're having a good time, which is great. Rochelle and I always have a lot of laughs. We make everybody else miserable. We're doing our Dickerson's <laughs> routine and we go out to the car whistling. We've had fun at the dinner party and our hosts are like calling us before we get home. There's a message and saying, are you guys okay? I've never seen a thing like that. Oh my God. Then we started fighting. Fighting? We weren't fighting. That's just us talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I've been preaching this environmental message since 1970 and falling on a lot of deaf ears. Some people listen, but... When she became involved and started to challenge some of my stuff, stuff that seemed a little far out, and certainly to bring up the level of aesthetics in my green practices, it really made for a good show and for a better home that I live in now. So Rochelle has brought a lot to the party. You are one of the busiest people I know, I think, with quite a few acting roles in TV and movies. You have been in like almost all of the things. I've been very lucky to work since 1967, fairly steadily, certainly working quite steadily since 1982 when I got that wonderful job saying elsewhere. Since then, I won't lie to you, life has been pretty easy. Not that I've you know, done leads in motion pictures or anything. I'm a supporting actor, but I've had a fine career since that wonderful supporting role on St. Elsewhere and still doing it to this day. I just did that HBO series with Chris Guest's Family Tree. I did the HBO movie, Muhammad Ali's Greatest Fight, with Christopher Plummer and Frank Langella and Danny Glover. Very, very busy these days and really enjoying it. I have a new show on Amazon called Betas, a new TV series called Betas, one of those direct-to-Amazon shows, like direct-to-Netflix kind of shows, like Wonderful House of Cards. You've probably seen that with Kevin Spacey sure. oh, yes. and Robin Wright. It's one of those shows that goes direct to, in this case, Amazon and not Netflix. So I'm enjoying that. Now, Greta and I are just too big of fans of two shows that you had a significant role in to not ask. Arrested Development and Six Feet Under are two of my favorite three shows probably of all time. And oh, so different. You. You're so brilliant in each of them. But I have to imagine that a situation like shooting Arrested Development has some in common but probably is pretty starkly different than a day on set for Six Feet Under. What do you take away from those experiences? How different are they? Well, they both have brilliant, brilliant showrunners and creators behind them. Alan Ball is a brilliant, brilliant writer and filmmaker and television producer. He's a brilliant creative mind, Alan Ball, and so is Mitch from Arrested Development. He just knows how to make the craziest things work, things you would never think of doing. That vehicle that has the stairs attached like an old you know, <laughs> access to a plane. Did you buy a company car for everyone in the family except me? Well, according to the books, I gave you Four. I'm serious. I'm driving a staircase, for God's sake, okay? It smells like gas. I get hop-ons. Well, of course, you're going to get hop-ons. You're going to get hop-ons. Banners, all right? <laughs> That's, who would think of doing that? Would you ever in a million years? You're going to get some hop-ons. He's amazing. I don't know how he thinks of those things, but he does. Mitch Hurwitz is, you know, a mind like none I've ever experienced. You have these brilliant minds, and they do things that have a different style, of course, but each of them is unique and memorable, and all really respect actors, both of them, and they seek out the best people, like Jeffrey Tambor, and the incredible people that they have in both shows. I felt very lucky to work on Six Feet Under, for instance, because I'm working with Frances Conroy. She's amazing. I just kind of held on for the ride with her. She kind of took me along through those wonderful scenes that we had. And likewise with Jeffrey Tambor or Jason Bateman or 
Will Arnett. I mean, come on. <laughs> These are comic geniuses. These are great actors. Frances is one of the greatest actresses I've ever worked with. She's just wonderful. I do just want to ask you about dress eyebrows for a second. So get this. I took his dress eyebrows. Sitwell suffered from a disease that rendered him completely hairless. He's not going to be happy about that. No, especially when he goes to the opera with two mustaches on his forehead. <laughs> That's funny. Arrested Development. Stan Sitwell, my character. Who else but Mitch Hurwitz would make a whole meal out of an affliction known as alopecia? But there you go. That's Mitch Hurwitz for you. Dress eyebrows, the stair card, comes from some strange place in that man's brain that we're all grateful for. <laughs> I think so. You can find links to how to watch On Begley Street at nerdatpodcast.com. Cocktails before homework? Not exactly, but I did do something that's nerdy and booze-related this weekend. Oh, yeah? I went and visited and toured the Koval Distillery. It was the first craft distillery in the city of Chicago since before Prohibition. And the husband and wife team who runs this place are adorable. (laughs) But they make craft whiskeys. They do all different grains. They do the hip millet whiskey, which is gluten-free from start to finish. Of course, after distillation, all whiskey is gluten-free, but millet is a gluten-free grain to begin with. They let you taste things. They let you look inside the barrels. Apparently, there's a barrel shortage if anyone's looking for a new career path. Barrel making is hot because the hipsters can't get enough of this craft distilled booze. (laughs) But it's a very cool process, and maybe I'll take a microphone back when I go next time so you can hear a little from the brewmaster himself about how he nerds out about making whiskey. I would love that. That sounds great. So many of you may be familiar with Joel Salatin because he was actually featured in Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and then later in the documentary Food, Inc. But he's got a farm in Virginia. It's called Polyface Farms, and he essentially is an evangelist for sustainable farming techniques. He actually has a book called The Sheer Ecstasy of Being a Lunatic Farmer, and he is truly delightful. And here's his homework for you. I'll tell you, my dad, and I've done this a little bit, but not as religiously as he did a couple of times, when he would get frustrated with his life, he would go a week and keep a tally mark on what he spent his time on, like divide the day into 10-minute increments, including you know brushing teeth and toilet and reading the paper and driving someplace and doing this, eating, blah, blah, blah. And what it gave you at the end of the week was a composite of where am I investing my time? And I remember him making some pretty dramatic changes based on that. And I think that the two most common questions I get asked everywhere is, I can't afford this food and I don't have time to get in my kitchen. I don't have time to prepare. And I think both of those are red herrings. They're excuses. They're not real. They're self-imposed obstacles. Yes. And they're the easiest thing to do to disempower us and make us not responsible by being a victim, and therefore I'm not responsible. And so I would challenge people, if you're hurried, harried, and hampered by feeling like I can't do what deep in my soul I would like to do, take one week and keep a time tally. Divide your day into 10 minutes. Make a chart. Divide the whole day, and then tally it up into the end of the week and see how much time you spend on video games, watching TV, shuttling the kids to soccer practice, whatever, and then say, does this align with what I think the highest use of my life is? Is this the legacy I want to leave? And it might be really revealing. Oh, this is very good advice from Joel. It's very good advice. May I add, go get some guacamole from Chipotle? Absolutely. Delicious. 
The other piece of homework that you should consider this week is to check out Sleep Donation. It's a new ebook by Karen Russell, who we've talked about before on the show. And Sleep Donation is pretty awesome. Apparently, it was inspired by a bout of insomnia that she suffered from. So it's that idea of what would happen sort of in the near future if all of a sudden people just were unable to sleep anymore and eventually died from lack of sleep. So then there would be sleep banks, kind of like blood banks, where you could go donate sleep if you are good at it. Trisha, I know you suffer from some sleepless nights, so it's probably a nice notion for you. Yeah, and Greta, you love sleep more than most things, so you might be a prime candidate for sleep bank work. Yeah, it's funny because with this story, sleep donation, you know, a lot of it is about these people really losing their minds because of sleep deprivation. And I keep reading it before bed and then getting really sleepy and then feeling really guilty about being really sleepy. You're so good at sleeping, Greta. I know. It's one of my favorite activities. But anyway, it's a really good story. I highly recommend it. Check it out. Sleep Donation by Karen Russell. That's it for this week. Thanks to our guests, Ed Begley Jr. and Joel Salatin. And thanks to you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw some stars if you're feeling generous. Thanks to our home stations, WBEZ and WCQS. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.